Welcome to the Money Making Women podcast with me, Ray Dodd. I'm a money and business coach who believes that you are absolutely capable of earning life-changing amounts of money. I also believe that doing so is not as straightforward as the internet makes out. If you're looking for a conversation that goes beyond pure manifestation and hustle and into the nuance and intersections of what it means to be a money-making woman, then this is the space for you. So um, I am so excited to be chatting with today's guest. Um, Saf has long been someone who I love to chat about all things coaching with and she's also one of the increasing, increasing I do believe this, but rare breed of coaches who take into account not just the whole human but the whole system in which we live as well. Saf is the founder of the Self-Belief Coaching Academy which I am a part of at the moment and thoroughly, thoroughly recommend Um, and she is also an evidence-based coach for humans with self-doubt and as I wrote down I was like isn't that all of us but not all of us acknowledge that, do we? That we've got self-doubt. Yeah, I, I, I think it's like everything. It's on a spectrum, and so we we feel it in increasingly intense levels, depending mm. on our makeup and what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So, can you tell us a bit from your perspective about what you do and kind of how you ended up doing that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. So, self-doubt has been like this underlying thread right through my life but I didn't really know that's what it was so I was a pretty anxious kid and I wasn't very well either so that added to this constant feeling of uncertainty and I grew up in a house that was grieving so I had a um, a younger sibling who died uh, only a few days old Mm. and so I had this constant feeling and I was parented in the 80s and 70s, right? So I had this constant feeling that something was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've realized the older I've got is that actually just there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the tools or the resources or the perspective to be able to recognize that it was never my responsibility. Yeah. But I took on a lot of yeah responsibility and a lot of ownership for stuff that were really adult issues um, from quite a young age and so I always felt like I was catching up like I was behind Um, I didn't really have a playful creative childhood I was the serious kid worried about what could go wrong (laughs) so I I guess that just carried on and it was something I never questioned Mm. and I learned to be very self-reliant because they didn't feel like there were any reliable grown-ups around. There's just a lot of chaos. So because I was very self-reliant, I had very high standards for myself and I was constantly proving myself, but never quite feeling like I got there. That feeling that something's wrong with me never quite left me until, you know, sort of maybe in the last decade, that's something I've been sort of making a lot of peace with. So, um, so yeah, self-doubt's been my, my personal journey. <laughs> and um, I, I burnt out a couple of times. I was in the corporate world for a, for a long time, burnt out, finally learned that maybe this was not a place where my soul could thrive. Yeah. And um, I ended up taking voluntary redundancy, took six months off. And in that time, worked with a therapist and then a coach and sort of thought, oh, maybe this is a thing. And eventually um, retrained as a coach. I ended up doing a master's degree at Oxford Brooks in coaching, um, particularly in developmental psychology. Mm-hmm. And my dissertation I cho- topic, I chose the experience of self-doubt. 
and so that was yeah about eight years ago and I and I since then it's been like this thing that continuously fascinates me how sophisticated our self-doubt actually is how it works what we can do to transcend it to heal it to make peace with it how much of it comes from outside of us yeah. uh, most of it I think yeah. um, so there's all these cultural narratives that we internalize and believe particularly as women but wherever your intersections are with the world it's like the more of those you have the more likely you are going to feel that marginalization that's designed to profit from your insecurity. Yeah. So yeah, and so I've worked as a coach for the last 10 years. And last year I opened the Self-Belief Coaching Academy, which I'm so excited that you're part of, right? And that's really to, um, to train coaches and therapists and counselors and mentors who are already in practice, already working with folks. And this is like an advanced training. If you know your folks are being held back by self-doubt, this is a sort of specialist four to five month program where you get to dive really deeply into the research that I've spent the last decade working with and um, really practical proven tools for how you can work with folks. And of course, there is this lovely parallel process as we're all experiencing that as you go through it, you get to play with your own self-doubt, which yeah. is fun. <laughs> you know what though it's amazing I'm I'm planning on doing I don't know it'd be a podcast episode or maybe it'll just be an Instagram post or something um but it's been part of a I've, I've only recently allowed myself and I only I accidentally did it and your course was the bit that was the accidental part really the amount of support I've learned that I need so I took the course because, as I said to, to her, I wanted to steal what she does legitimately. Like, I didn't want to go in and be like, yeah, let me take that. I wanted to pay her the money so that I could pick your brains and, like, download what you've learned as much as I ever can to my brain. But we are obviously doing so much self-reflection in there and processing, like you say, our own self-doubt. And I already have therapy and I already have coaching. And now I get extra coaching because we have a, a practice pod so I get coaching there and a weekly <laughs> chat with you and like honestly I think it's I've got to stuff I would never have got to well not never have got to but it would have taken me years yeah. years to get there just with with therapy and what I bring to coaching because you're bringing it to me in a different yeah. way that makes sense yeah but totally. I'm not just like noodling around in my brain and going well it's like oh yeah how does that show up for me? What does that mean? Um, Isn't that so nice to know that we just need each other? Yes, exactly. Like we just we just can't figure it out on our own and we're not supposed to. Mm. That has been a, a horrible realisation <laughs> for me too as, <laughs> as a self-reliant sort of person and pretty like, like that's a badge of honour for me. I don't need anybody. But I'm realising actually that it's that's a pile of shit. Yeah, I had a real story that I couldn't sustain it weirdly that's a big old story for me anyway yeah. but I would burn out almost on the support and it was a very much like one of those cognitive dissonance like I didn't know I thought it I was thinking two things at once yes. but it was a weird moment I think when we came back to because we took Christmas off from doing the self-belief coaching stuff and then we came back and I was like wow I've never been more supported and I haven't felt this good possibly ever yeah and I know I'm a big energy person I take up a lot of space so it makes sense that I need a lot of support yeah but you yeah. know I'm so with you and I think it's I've got a story I don't know if this resonates that 
if I ask people for help, I'll then have to tell them how to help me mm. and explain exactly what they need to do. And then they'll do it wrong. Yeah. So then it will just create some conflict yeah. and it's just easier for me to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. And I think that's another reason that I like, again, I really realized because I read a book and all my clients, and I've probably mentioned it on this podcast as well. have heard me bang on about it. <laughs> I always get these like pet things. So, uh, but the positivity book by Barbara Fredrickson, I think you recommended. Yeah. That has been so brilliant. And one of the things I loved about that book is one of the kind of, she basically lists out all these positive people listening who don't know it. And we'll put it in the show notes though, um, probably for like the fifth time. But it, she lists out all the different experiences of positivity that you can have different positive experiences or emotions. And one of them is it's interest and inspiration. Yeah. And I think also, and I feel like this will be true for you too, realizing that my learning and that inspiration, that interest is a really important part of me being a whole human almost, like sparking my brain purposefully mm-hmm. is very important to me. And mm-hmm. your course has been the thing, like I'm already like, I will be messaging you soon to be like, that's when it finishes, what do I do now? Like what, what's yeah. next? <laughs> I've got plans, don't worry. <laughs> Good. Um, okay, so, so I had this this question. I started writing like, right, this is not a question. This is a ridiculous question. But I was like, how? I was going to say, how does our self doubt get involved in our ability to make money? But then I was like, is it probably quicker to say how it doesn't? And the answer would be like, because it gets involved in all parts of making money, doesn't it? It's so interesting. I I think, and I don't know if this resonates with you, but my sense is that if we've got self doubt it's going to show up wherever we experience any kind of resistance to to kind of being fully ourselves. Mm. So for some people, that's going to be in parenting. For others, it's going to be in relationships with their romantic partners. It may be in running a business, maybe in making money and whatever way you do it. But it's like there's all these little stages (laughs) or or, you know, potential places of healing is a, I guess, a nice life coachy, cheesy, sorry, vomity way of putting it. Um, but, you know, there are all these kind of venues, these contexts where we get to look at what's coming up. Yeah. And I think because we all carry these cultural stories around what we're supposed to think and feel, yeah. that if our experience is different to that, we think there's something wrong with us and then we judge ourselves. When actually, I think that could just be the doorway into healing something around your self-doubt. So I think things like envy, um, resentment, sadness, anger, these emotions that we often think are wrong or bad, Mm. I think they are so important to pay attention to because usually they're saying something about this doesn't feel good to you. Mm. There's probably something in there worth looking at. But can we, the cultural story is, for most of us um, who identify as women, be good and nice and happy and pleasant and inoffensive. And so sadness, resentment, envy and anger are the last bloody things you want to welcome on in and have a little look at. So yeah, I think if any, if money brings up any of those kinds of feelings, it's like, welcome to the party. You get to yeah. look at stuff. Yeah. And also, and I know you talk about this a lot in the course, but like, there is that safety piece as well. Like we think that having more money will make us feel safer. And don't get me wrong, of course it it does in many ways. It can make us feel safer, but 
psychological safety wise it can feel you know as you gather more money it can actually feel less safe because there's more to lose yeah, that's right and so yeah. that's its own kind of complicated thing. yeah I, I think my my own sort of experience of it is that having more money doesn't equal more safety more happiness more contentment but the converse is different the yeah. less money you have yes that does create a ton of stress and yeah. difficulty and awfulness and yeah. you know, I think many of us have probably had moments in our lives where we thought shit this is yeah. we're on the edge here yeah. most of us actually are only one or two pay cycles away mm-hmm. right that's yeah. that's of the real lived reality we don't we don't have a culture of saving of of you know creating safety nets for ourselves we don't have a culture of you know, paying people a decent bloody wage for a lot of of roles. So there is this kind of dichotomy that we find ourselves in. I I want to experience more safety and that can happen regardless of how much money you're earning. Yeah, yeah. And I believe, and not having that money does lead to feelings of insecurity and unsafety. Yeah. yeah. And it is very much a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Like in my experience anyways, you become more psychologically safe you are able to earn more but there's that kind of real edgy bit of like but I'm not but uh, and I need to do it before but I can't and that can be really just really hard yeah and you know I think as well like I always remember this client I worked with a few years ago now and she came to me for coaching and she's like I'm paying you I'm paying for you out of my divorce settlement and I've got three months to sort my stuff out because that's it. I don't get any money and I don't know what to do. And she trained as a coach and she was like super smart, capable, but it wasn't until her like back was against the wall that she realized I have to do this. Like I don't, uh, there is no safety net now. I am my own safety net. And she hustled for a couple of months. She was like, I can't afford a website. I can't afford, this has to be done for free. Like I have to figure this out for free. So all of our sessions were about like brainstorming ideas, filling her with that sense of possibility. And so I think sometimes, you know, that that lack of safety can be a force for good. Yeah, right? it was for me. It absolutely was for me. Yeah. That was, yeah. We wouldn't be sat here if I hadn't had literally the same thing back against the wall, can't afford yeah. food, what are we going to do? Like we yeah. would not be here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if you if you feel that sense of, right I've got to do this I've just been through um I've been with my husband for about 13 years and and last year we went through this really difficult year of do we still fit is this still our are we still right for each other both of us have grown and changed so much and a lot of things were kind of coming up because we were trapped in the bloody house together and I had this realization wow if I was on my own if this does end as sad and as as difficult as that would be what a wrench that would be because you know I'm lucky I married my best mate we just didn't like each other very much in 2020 but I had this realization if it was just up to me like if I had to service a mortgage on my own if I had to like seriously be responsible for myself in a way that you know maintained a, a sense of safety for me and what I've you know come to see as important then I would show up totally differently to my business Ooh. I would I would not be waiting for some magical thing to happen where I feel ready. I would just be doing it. And a lot of that has led to me kind of going, okay, I want different things now. now <laughs> I want, I have you, you know, channeled that? Yeah. that kind of, oh, yes. 
Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And, and, I, and I, you know, I still, as we were talking about this, I remember the moment when I thought I'll be okay. And it was, I was literally looking at what could I afford if we had to sell our lovely house that we've spent 10 years saving say, for and we've just renovated it. But it was like, oh God, what could I afford? And I, and I found this house and I thought I would be okay there. Mm. And, I, and it was like, it gave me a, a visual. I could imagine myself living there on my own divorced 47 (laughs) all of that and all the stories that were coming up around that but underneath it I thought I will be all right and I need to trust myself to be able to take care of me no matter what yeah yeah so funny because mine's similar like in a way um I we had a situation where um I had been burying my head about money and then Phil um, found, I found out that my husband had basically spent money that we didn't have only on us living but he just hadn't told me that the money wasn't coming back in just started a new business and it was a real like it was our marriage was really close to the to the like I remember saying to myself I think I think this might be it like it's nothing I ever expected to happen but I think it might be it and it was that same thing of like all right Ray you've got to stop waiting for this knight in shining armor to come and sort you out I I never want to be in that position again where I've given my power to somebody in that way so you do it you you because I was always saying to him like when are you going to get a raise when are you going to do this when are we going to earn more money and I was like maybe that's your ambition Rachel Dodd and maybe you should be doing that and not channeling it into him all the time yeah so love it what a great realization to have yeah very useful and I do I see it with people a lot I think you know in some ways, the people who have a backup, as in a partner who's earning money, um, sometimes it's harder for them to make the money they want to make themselves because there isn't the net. It's, it's, we have to come through a lot of stuff about why do we deserve, and I don't think we need to deserve it, but that be the language people use. Why do I deserve um, more money than I need? Like, why should I be the one making more? Well, and this this fascinates me. I love that we're getting onto this because I don't know. My theory is the money is a total red herring. Yeah. I think this is about this, and this is totally my opinion. And we all know everyone's got one of those. <laughs> but I think the money is a total red herring. I think the self-doubt in lots of ways can be a red herring, right? What this is. I think is an invitation, our businesses are an invitation to see what we can do. And it's all on your own terms. You can't blame a shitty boss because that's you. You can't blame anything. Like it's really up to you. And that can create feelings of chaos and overwhelm or utter liberation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm learning to choose the latter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think I don't think it's like a momentary decision. I think it's an ongoing relationship with this yeah. is all on me. What a gift. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think what we seem to do is find all the reasons why we can't be fully ourselves. What we call this in the coaching academy, we call this like expanding your self-concept to hold a new version of you. Because you're always becoming someone else. As we learn stuff, as we chat to people, we incorporate all these experiences and relationships and we expand to fit that. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree with you. I think the money is 
like really is just a byproduct, but it shouldn't really be the focus of the whole thing. For me, it's, um, I can't remember how you worded it, but yeah, it's, oh, our business is being like kind of an experiment and what we can do. But for me also it's, um, and why we're doing it. Like what's the impact we're after? What's going to happen there? That's what's interesting. But the money is almost like, it's just part of that machine. Like it is a working part. It's necessary in order to do things like pay people well and all of that stuff, which, you know, I would hope people are pursuing, but it's not the goal. It's not where we're aiming for, really, because and it's kind of, it's that cliche, isn't it? Of like, look, what are you going to do with all that money at the end of it? Really? Mm. Well, and, and I think that's the thing is, we talk a lot about this, you know, what do we want to make this mean? Mm. And I think this is the thing, like self-doubt kind of is kept alive by the stories we keep telling ourselves about what things mean about us or other people or the world. And it's like, what's the story you're telling yourself about money? What does you, what do you make that mean about you? And I had this like huge realization last year in that when I was in the corporate world, I earned an extortionate amount of money disproportionate to the value that I contributed to the world without a doubt. And it was a kind of embarrassing. And as a result of that, I just spent the whole lot. Yeah. Literally spaffed it against a wall. (laughs) Did not save a penny. Have an embarrassingly low pension in, in comparison to what it could be. When I became a coach, I was like, I'm not in this for the money. Yeah. My husband took a sharp intake of breath at that point. <laughs> but, but for me, it's like, no, I want to do something that is meaningful and fulfilling. And that was great. But the first year I was a coach, I earned 8,000 pounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was sobering mm. because I was living off my savings. Yeah. You know? And so then it became, I do have to make this work. Like the reality is, as much as I love and adore and am devoted to this work, it is a business. Yeah. And it need, I need that financial reward to sustain it. Yeah. Because it's really hard to be creative and to plan for stuff and to, you know, show up for your people when you're exhausted from the stress of not making any money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so for the last kind of decade, I've sort of, you know, I had this idea, oh, once I make six figures, everything's going to change. Yeah. Like literally everything's going to change. And I started working with a business coach last year because I sort of had got to a point where I'm not sure where to go. I've been working one-to-one with people. I've been doing small groups. That's been great. But I'm always tired. Like I always feel like I'm doing too much. And in the six months we've been working together, I mean, she very quickly said, there is a direction you could go in here where you take this body of work that you've created and you train other people. Yeah. And in the course of doing that, I made my annual salary in one month. Yeah. And it totally like blew my head open. Yeah. I was like, I don't know where to go with this. Yeah. And I realized that I am no more or less devoted to this work. Yeah. I'm no more or less happy. In fact, at the time I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know if that's enough because yeah. I might be on my own on the street, you know. Yeah. But also just that sense of, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. Mm. This this hasn't left me feeling like I'm a whole different person. But I now know that it is okay for me to be that person. Yeah. 
even though, I mean, even talking about it now, it feels like a little bit uncomfortable because I know what it's like to hear these stories yeah. and go, well, it's all right for you, you cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have deep love and empathy for anyone listening and thinking that very thing. You may have switched off by now, I don't know. But yeah. I, I can promise you that what changed for me was nothing to do with the money. The money was just the catalyst for what's possible. And I think that's the reason why I feel like it's just a red herring is if we decide to not wait, to go all in, really commit to the work that we feel called to do, then we will expand to fit that. Yeah. And we will face all of our self-doubt and all the reasons why and all the feelings of worthiness and deserving and, you know, making decisions yeah. and it's messy as heck, but that's not going to go away. Yeah. And those things are still there under the surface whether or not you choose to look at them. Yeah. I always describe it as I know that, you know, I don't know what amount of money I'll end up making. I'm not mm. sure. But I know that whatever, like the amount I get to, that I'm, you know, feel either I want to keep repeating that or, or whatever happens, I will still spill stuff down me. I will still like, you know, constantly have, I always have boobs sort of just, just, just above the little big boobs, just above the boobs. <laughs> I'll always like the, you know that and, and as well as that I will also always be grappling with a number of stories that reoccur for me that you know that, I'm, that is always going to be there so yeah. that's why like I'm really I am really picky about words but there's so many things that you can get jumpers and prints and posters that all say like fear less or no fear allowed or stuff like that and I'm always like well that's just not that's ridiculous that's not going to happen let's not suggest that's how we do this let's normalize it right yeah. it's normal yeah. to be ass clenchingly frozen in place while you are launching something that is a big freaking dream for you yeah. that is totally normal that's oh my god if you weren't feeling that we'd yeah. be going are you okay yeah yeah right the, and that's the thing I think the trick is if there is a trick it's to um find a way to compassionately support yourself as you go through the the harvest and the fallow periods yeah yeah what changed then for you in terms of this kind of to allow like I can't remember exactly how you worded it but around like becoming that person that allowed that money in well first of all I had to really make peace with this um, story I was telling myself that um to make a lot of money doing this work is somehow gaming the system right like I had this vision in my mind because I think I'd and now I can see I had actively participated in making it quite hard for me to make money yeah um just through my the business model I'd chosen I earned every penny <laughs> right but the idea that I could just simplify my business do one or two things and that that would allow me to scale my business exponentially yeah yeah I had to let go of the story that this has to be hard mm -hmm. and that somehow if it, if you're successful, you've, you've sort of cheated the system. Yeah. So I was totally buying into what we call capitalism, you know? Yeah. And it was like, oh, I, I get that. Like I don't for a moment buy into the manifesting world. That's not something that gels with me. It doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel like it's a thing yeah. <laughs> even though I totally respect if that's different for, for folks listening but for me it was oh as soon as my energy changed around 
this is the amount of money I make as a reflection of how much I can serve mm -hmm. and the value of what I'm creating. Yeah. Because I've, I know this is a 10 year body of work. Yeah. This is something that I have devoted myself to. I'm not polishing a turd and saying, here's a nice sparkly thing. Come buy it. Mm. It's going to cost you a lot of money. And I'm going to laugh like the count from Sesame Street when you pur purchase it. Right. <laughs> no, far from it. You know, I'm going to put my heart and soul into this and I'm going to show up every time and I'm going to be as healthy and as you know, in, in that place of mastery mm. as much as I can be yeah. given my humanness yeah. every single time I yeah. reach out to to this this amazing group because mm. I so respect every single person who's decided to invest in me I adore you yeah. all I have a deep level of um, respect for everyone's work I think it's amazing it feels like just a freaking party to me mm -hmm. that I get to hang out and have these kinds of conversations with people on the daily yeah and that's my job like I will never lose that sense of gratitude or, or excitement about that and so that has so much meaning and fulfillment for me why would I not allow myself to enjoy that why would I not make that a valuable thing that I can then do in the world and that allows me to do so much more Exactly. So my question would be for people listening who are going, why don't I allow that? Why am I not allowing? What what would you say to that that kind of feeling that I'm sure some people listening are literally going, yeah, why am I not allowing that? Well, I think that, and we talked about this in our call this week, I think for business owners, what we need to recognize is that signing up to run a business is the biggest, richest, most insane thing deeply courageous thing that we will ever do and it is going to stretch and pull us and if we get all rigid and say I cannot change mm -hmm. and I want people to look at me a certain way and I cannot you know I cannot show my vulnerability my humanness my flawedness which sounds great in theory but then when you're living it you just want to like die yeah. um yeah. I think we just have to accept that that's normal yeah right and so if that's normal when you look at the different aspects of your business, right? The planning part, the creating products or services, the marketing of those, the selling of those, the delivery of those, and then the reward that you get, whether it's financial or emotional, creative or intellectual. If you look at those six places in your business and think about where am I holding myself back? Where is self-doubt really prevalent for me? Where am I telling myself a ton of stories? And then start to ask yourself, why haven't I done this by now? Yeah. You're going to start revealing yourself to yourself. Yeah. And what you're going to find is that you probably have a mixture of business problems and protective beliefs, right? BPs and PBs. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and business problems are solvable, right? Business problems are, you know, I need, um, I need a system for people to pay me or to book with me or um, to ship stuff out. But protective beliefs are, I get on a call with someone who wants to coach with me, but I never seem to be able to ask the words, so do you want to buy this? Yeah. Or something to those words, right? Yeah. Protective beliefs say things like, every time I get on social media, I freak out about not having anything original to say. So I just end up like reposting other people's stuff. Yeah. 
right? So you start to see what's a solvable problem, right? What's something that you just need a thing, a system or a resource or a process to, to resolve? And what, where is your self-doubt actually in charge of your business right now? When you said that, yes, I think it was yesterday on the call as well. I thought, I sort of the like the system for your clients to book in, for example. And I thought about how many clients I've heard say, I need a system. I'm no good at technology. I won't be able to do it. And like the way that it can go from a business problem so quickly to a self-doubt, like I cannot figure this out. It can't happen. And then we get stuck in that loop. Whereas what we like, you know, YouTube is your friend for so many of those things. Yes. Yeah. it will walk you through I mean the amount of times because I'm terrible with stuff like that I'm literally like click this go back to the video click that but our our self-doubt and its effort to protect us and like you said this it's so sophisticated it really is and it's going to tell you that this is a damn good reason why you can't launch your business yeah. is because you don't have a, a process for people to, to book in their sessions with you yeah. when actually let's take a step back that's something you can figure out yeah right you're in a Facebook group with other business owners, trade. Who knows how to do this? I know how to do this. Let's trade. Like you could get this done for free this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's about, and I, you know, one of the themes that we talk about in the academy is, you know, the, the healthy self, the healthy adult self, the part of you that sees through all this rubbish, <laughs> right? And sees through these stories that feel important and worthwhile and and like they really do need to be taken into account and listened to, all that protective self-doubt, your healthy adult self can see, maybe that's a story. Like, what is it that you're protecting yourself from here, right? Because once you solve that problem, then there's no barrier between you and putting yourself out there. Yeah. So what's really holding you back here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so another question for you around this stuff is what do you think, so we, you've talked a lot about healing yourself concept. Let's talk specifically about coaches because this is what you do. And I'm sure anyone listening is going to be a coach or interested in coaching because that's yeah. what I do, um, what we both do. What do you think are the results of coaches not healing their self-concept in terms yeah. of that? Yeah, and, and I guess like to talk about your self-concept, like it's really just the idea that you have of yourself. It's the, the self-concept is just the collection of stories you have about yourself, other people in the world, how it works. Yeah. It's not wrong or right. It's just, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. And I think when you start to get really interested and in how, what do I think and feel about this? You start to see all the places that self-doubt's showing up or the places that you, there's an invitation to heal that. Yeah. And sometimes they're inherited, right? Sometimes they're given to us by other people, by the culture at large. Um, sometimes they're just really old. Yeah. They're things that we believed when we were much younger and we haven't had a chance to reassess if that's still yeah. true. So that's what we mean by the self-concept. And I think if you are working with other people in any kind of helping profession and you are reluctant to look at all the places where you have some shame or fear or doubt or guilt or resentment, envy, anger, all that stuff. That's not benign. Like yeah. you can't shove that under forever and be okay. Yeah. That's going to feed into any sense of being an imposter. Mm. It's going to keep that alive because you kind of are, you're kind of not being honest with yourself. 
I think that the professionalism of the coaching industry is such that it would not surprise me if supervision becomes something that is either expected or we all take responsibility for acknowledging that supervision is something that we just need because every other talking therapy has it as a mandatory requirement. So I think that that is really important. Mm-hmm. That we start to see where where am I at the limits of my own self-coaching ability, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think if you don't do that, what happens is you show up to a session or a call where you're, you know, wanting to reach people through your work and you've got all those stories alive in you yeah. about what people don't know about you and your biggest shames and fears and doubts. They're all there because you haven't looked at them. Yeah. It means that it's going to be really hard for you to coach from your healthiest self. Mm. And what that means to me is that you are unattached to any outcome. Mm-hmm. You yeah. are able to see the potential and hear the, the healthy self of the client. You know when that's the part that's talking to you and when it's that protective part. And, and I think, you know, as we become more and more informed about how trauma shows up in coaching, yeah. it prevents or minimizes what I call entanglement, which is where we get tangled up with the stories of our clients mm. because there is some thread in there that is related to our own hurts and traumas and unhealed parts. Yeah. And that is so easy to do. Like, I can't even tell you. Like, that's just easy peasy. And, and you see it with coaches who are reluctant to put boundaries around, you know, when they coach or, you know, they want to be liked by their clients or they really need to have that affirmation so that when a client shows up and they aren't playing the game, you see them as a difficult client mm. and you project all that onto them. Make yeah. it their fault. Yeah. And actually what is really happening is that you have a client in difficulty who is sensing that you aren't safe. Yeah. So they're going to play that out because yeah. that's what we do. We, our unconscious is so with us all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what you end up having is two, you know, two folks who are trying their damnedest to not show all their vulnerable parts <laughs> and they just get tangled up yeah. and observing that is, you know, and that's been part of my training over the years is, to really observe what happens when entanglement happens. And it's like, you can, you start to smell it a mile off when you, when you get practice at it. And we do this as part of the work in the academy. It's like, that's why we have these lovely practice pods where you get to do all this, like get really entangled up with each other in a way that is safe. And, you know, you can hold it with some humor and some safety and go, oh my God, I'm totally tangled up with you. Yeah. This just happened. It's, yeah. And that's the best way to do it is to practice yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. I also, yeah. as you were talking, I think one of the ways that I see it showing up, like not just within coaching, but in terms of how people sell and how people um, market themselves, which obviously is a huge part of actually making money in your business, yeah. is that often we get entangled in our own trauma about the way we have been sold to and the way we have been. Because I think as um, people who identify as women or have been just socialized as female and maybe no longer do identify as women, I think there is so much trauma that comes from the advertising world. You know, when that like, it's but the whole message is you're not enough, so you need to buy my thing. 
And that has absolutely permeated the coaching world in, in way, way too many ways. Um, but I think then when it comes to us selling and making money, we get entangled in our own stuff around that, like all the harm that's been done to us, all that we've seen. Yeah. And then we don't want to perpetuate it, even though we're not even nearly doing that. Exactly. And I think, you know, having been online since 2005, like I said, that was my first blog <laughs> was in 2005. <laughs> And, you know, and when we just used to tell each other stories and almost publish our anonymous diaries, like that was sort of what blogger was all about and live journal for those of you who've been around since those days, the idea of monetizing mm. your lifestyle, it just seemed like you would kind of be going, what, what yeah. do you mean? Yeah, it's not a thing. But now, of course, it is. Yeah. And, you know, you only have to look at the influencer industry to see that influencing people by saying if you have this thing you too will have my life and look how freaking amazing it is because I have a personal photographer who follows me around all the time with the perfect lighting yeah and have you met my makeup artist and my the, yeah. the guy who does my hair yeah. right so we have this like constructed reality that we're looking at all of the time even amongst like women selling to women like this is no accident but I really think that we as soon as we start engaging our healthy self we're just like oh I get to choose yeah I get to be discerning here even if I think you know what I am gonna buy that frock because I bet you that I do end up feeling like that woman and she looks so happy and I could use that right now yeah yeah like like of course have at it but do it from a place of intention do it not from a place of lack yeah and I think because so many of us have had those experiences where we've we've invested in things that were never intended to really help us they were intended to make money for the person selling it yeah and they've all been to you know jeff walker's school of how to sell on the internet am i allowed to say that i don't know i bought his course so i totally understand what that (laughs) feels like (laughs) but i just want to say like all of the you know the big folks that we look to for how to do this most of the big kind of internet sally people they you know all roads lead to several marketing strategies that are all designed to manipulate yeah and i know this because a lot of them are rooted in transactional analysis which is all about how do you play a game with someone to get them to buy something right this is in the 70s you know, this form of therapy, which can be incredibly helpful and deeply healing for people, was actually looking at the games that we all play with each other when we're communicating. And it was adopted by the sales industry. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? You can say different things and that will manipulate people yeah. into doing what you want them to do. And yeah. that's how we influence people. Yeah. So there is a path back to all of this, yeah. which is you know, it doesn't, you don't have to think too hard or look too hard to find it. But I think for anyone who, you know, values equality and wants to create a world where, you know, making money, buying into those capitalist ideals that is designed to have winners and competition and some people have to lose and some people don't win. If we want to change all of that, then we've got to do it slightly differently. Yeah. And that means we have to be healthy we have to be to recognize 
when am I just following a path that someone set out for me mm-hmm. and do and following the rules they've said, this is how you do it mm-hmm. versus does that actually feel good to me? Yeah. Maybe I have to do this a bit differently. And I'm, you know, maybe that means I have to face some of my own doubts and fears and worries about showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that going back to that self-concept thing, it's there's, there's various stages of that. And one of them, being where you really see yourself and I've definitely been in this place reflected in, in everyone else's view of you yeah. and that is quite a tricky place to be on the internet because there are so many mirrors right back at you like so many um marketing gurus and strategy gurus and coaches and blah blah blah, blah telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing and if you don't know who you are if you're yeah. not in a space where you're able to go that doesn't work for me actually it's very hard not to get drawn into it and not to find mm. yourself participating almost subconsciously unwittingly in something that you really don't agree with that you really yeah. don't mean to be involved in that's right and and I think that's the thing is when your self-concept is rooted in what other people think of you yeah. and you feel like there is a right way to do something yeah and if only you could find a manual yeah. then everything would be okay yeah. that's a great indicator that actually the vision for you is to is to either work with a coach or a person who can help you to find your own identity your own self-concept and cultivate that and you know for the coaches I work with we do this from a place of we want you to develop these four resources within you that is um, self-belief self-trust self-acceptance and self-worth that's the kind of expanded concept that we work with and it all is rooted in the healthy self the healthy self can pull in these resources and knows what what to use and it gives you this kind of internal compass like a model that you can kind of refer to what do I need right now what would that sound like and you you get to practice with that and build that up so that when someone turns around and says this is how you need to do this thing you can kind of check in with yourself and decide is that how I need to do it or does that just work for you yeah and that's one of the reasons and I think your courses would be the same why I've always said like I would love for people to do my course or or similar sort of course uh, before they bought anything marketing anything strategy because if you're going to heal your story around money or or whatever whatever thing it is that shows up for you then you're not going to end up buying something to fill an unhealed bit yeah. or you'll be like a sieve and like I've done courses where I'm like not, not putting that bit in that bit's good okay I'll take that and, yeah. and it can be selective within it yeah. but when we're going in just looking for and I've also been this person by the way looking for the next like I need an answer I need an answer this has to happen yeah, yeah. that's when we can often end up investing in things that if we bought from our healthy self mm. never press well you know and I I, I just keep coming back to this thing that it is so human of us to want the answer from other people but the invitation is always and it's so annoying because life coaches post about this shit on Instagram all the time right the answer's within and sometimes it's like really where (laughs) because I've looked (laughs) exactly (laughs) and I think it really does it's an invitation to kind of look at where am I operating here Um, from a place of fear or doubt or worry about what other people think am I trying to outsource my discomfort yeah 
Yeah. Because if you are, it's like, then all that will happen is a, is a problem will feel like it's temporarily fixed. Yes. Like you're bunging a cork in a, in a hole. Yeah. In a dam. Yeah. But there's cracks all around. <laughs> delicious, delicious yeah. cracks. <laughs> um, okay, so our time's pretty much up. But the way I normally end this is something I've stolen straight from Brené Brown's podcast. Not the, the thing, but the quick fire round at the end. Okay. I haven't stolen her questions. I'm not that bad. Just the idea. I'll brace myself. Okay. <laughs> so I think she gives her guests some warning. I don't. I'm <laughs> just like, fair just... enough. <laughs> um, so these are my quick fire questions. So finish this sentence. Money is. I don't want to say energy, but I don't really think it is. Money is a representative, a representation of value. Nice. Love that. Um, now, I'm almost scared to ask this question because you have been responsible for me buying way too many books recently. But um, we get a bibliography at the end of every um, module and I go straight to that. I'm like, what books this week, Zach? What books? So what is your favourite book? Fiction, business, non-fiction, doesn't matter. Your favourite book you've read recently? A book called The Liar's Dictionary, mm. which I read over lockdown twice because I loved it so much. I can't remember the author's name, but it is the, if you love words, yeah. it is funny and touching and it has a gay love story in it, which is so magic. And yeah, I just found it brilliant. I thought she is an inspiring writer. Look at that. And that's fiction. So yeah. Nice. The impact of women making money is? Unfathomably important. I don't even think we can conceive of, a, of the world of financially independent women and not because of the money, but because of who they become in order to do that, exactly that. That, that will change our world. And the ways in which they stop limiting themselves for that is just yeah. all the stuff that at the moment is locked up behind closed doors is just enormous. It is, um, it is incredible. If, if women stopped worrying so much about how much we weigh and what we look and cared more about what we're contributing and how much money we're making, our world would change overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is a slightly different uh, direction we're going in. If you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, and I always say like either like an actual item food or a food like a meal, I actually tend to go for a whole like, I say Mexican every time. But if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Bloody hell. This is my favourite. I have to say, Ash does this. He does most of the cooking in our house, thank goodness. And he makes this chicken thing. And it's got lots of like spices and chipotle. It is quite Mexican-y sort of flavours in it. Yeah, it's delish. And I, it's kind of like my favourite go-to meal at the moment. So I would say that. Nice. Yeah. And then finally, the best bit of money or business advice that you've been given that you can also recall? I loved uh, Tosha Silver's teachings mm. on abundance. I don't know if anyone's ever read her work. Um, there's, she does, she's written a book called It's Not Your Money, which is fantastic. And I think for anyone who perhaps has a sense that this world is not just material, that maybe there is some unseen force that's helping us all. Mm. That's my own kind of faith belief. What she says is that um, everything belongs to divine source. Mm. And we get to play with the bits that come to us. Yeah. 
but that also means that whenever you have problems and challenges, you can surrender that and say, okay, you need to sort this out because I'm stuck. Yeah. And I think this concept is like just the idea that there is something bigger and more powerful than us that is helping us out mm. is something that I just keep coming back to again and again. Like maybe I'm not the center of this universe, you know, like maybe I'm part of something that is bigger. Yeah. And if that's the case, then give me the inspiration. Tell me the ideas. What do I need to do next? Mm. And I don't know if I'm asking myself yeah or if I'm directing that to something else sometimes it helps me to think it's separate from me yeah but I don't, I don't really know how it works yeah but I have to say that that kind of openness and Tosha Silva calls it outrageous openness mm -hmm. it's like you kind of decide whatever is for me will come to me nothing good's going to get away yeah yeah I love that idea as well mm. um cool thanks Sam Yay. Wonderful. So, yeah. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you as well? Yeah, sure. Um, most days I'm hanging out on Instagram and I'm just at Sass Petherick. And um, yeah, I've also got a website and a podcast, but you'll find all of that if you zip over to Insta. And then you've got um, the Self Belief Coaching Academy reopens in the spring. Is that right? It does. Yes. We're going to have another class starting probably in March, March, April time. Um, and yeah there is a link to sign up to that on my um, Instagram profile nice. and I'll just send you some emails about it and you can find out more and if it gels with you and you want to help people overcome self-doubt and face your own then it is a good ride <laughs> cool all right thank you so much sir thanks Ray thank you for listening to this episode of money making women please do go and leave us a review. They have a huge impact on getting podcasts like mine heard. I also wanted to let you know where you can find me. So if you want to find more of what I do, you can find me in my Facebook group, Money Making Women, or you can find me on Instagram. I'm Ray underscore Dodd. I really want to say a special thank you to Emily Crosby who edits these for me, and I will see you for our next episode.